following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. You might have noticed from that meditation that it can be difficult to be still, very challenging. The body is tense, agitated, wants to move. And that indicates to us that if our body is not in control, likewise our mind is also not under our grip. Because the fundamental definition of a master in a spiritual sense is someone who has full dominion of body, heart, and mind. Someone who is aligned with the real divinity within, whom we denominate in our studies the being, the spirit. I know it's a basic practice, but in truth, this can give us a snapshot of where we are, where we need to go, what we need to do. People often speak about liberation and a spiritual goal. Some religions have called it redemption. Some have called it the overcoming of suffering, freedom. And if we cannot even tame the body, if we are not free of the body, dictating what we want, it shows that we lack a Again, that alignment with some higher principle. Because as we've studied in this course, there is a strata of being, levels of being, from the most divine to the most terrestrial, which we've explained in this glyph, the tree of life, a map of our being, divinity from the heights down to this bottom sphere, our physical body. There are layers of being. And liberation, in its fundamental sense, means to be free of suffering, to overcome the causes, to understand the root of why we have pain, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We'll talk about some very deep points about the nature of what this goal is, freedom from suffering, conquering the causes of real trauma. But it's also essential to clarify some common misconceptions, especially when we approach any religion. In truth, every person wants to be free of pain. This is a fundamental axiom of human nature. However, not many people are willing to renounce that which causes real pain. Not outside, inside. Our behaviors which dictate whether we approach a state of communion with a real divine truth or whether we, in dissonance of that, affect our well-being but also our community. And so this state of liberation, ironically enough, occurs not by avoiding problems, 
It comes about by approaching them willingly. And this is a very distinct difference with our common psychology because we all want to avoid pain. We don't want to suffer. And in a real deep sense, we don't like to make other people suffer. But despite that, we tend to be driven to do things that are wrong, that we know in our heart. Voluntary suffering doesn't mean we go look for problems. It means that we face them willingly. As we're consciously trying to rectify our own mind, the things that we do, we also have to learn to face the consequences of our former actions. This is the teachings of karma that we explained previously in Buddhism. Every effect originates from a cause. And the situations in life that we experience were produced by us to some degree. We initiated the scenario. We set the stage in which we are both the, uh, the director and the actor and the screenwriter. But unfortunately, we repeat the same drama again and again, suffering again and again, and not understanding this mechanicity, this wheel, samsara, which keeps repeating. Samsara in Sanskrit meaning cycling, repetition. So we have to face all that willingly and to work on our own defects consciously to understand what in us, again, is perpetuating this motion. And so we'll talk about renunciation, too, as a deep fundamental spiritual principle. Renunciation does not mean running away, avoiding, to avoid the problem. It means to give up that identity or self that is attached to the past. Renunciation is when we give up anger for love, fear for trust and faith in the divine, lust for purity of mind, purity of heart. Renunciation is comprehension. When we understand in ourselves how certain things that we do really are wrong, not from some scripture or book, but our heart, we have peace. And we can willingly give up a lower level being for a higher one. In this way, we can say a fundamental truth is that we cannot renounce or give up what we do not have. And this is a very big problem within spiritual circles. Some people feel that they're spiritual because they renounce money or fame of a material sense. Meanwhile, we may covet power in spiritual groups, spiritual powers, abilities. You know, we hear stories of astral projection and dream yoga, out-of-body experiences, the ability to talk to masters in the higher worlds like the Kabbalah, jinn science, many marvelous things that when we read, we become enamored. We were inspired and we say, I want that. And that because perhaps we do not have material attachments, we think that we're spiritual. And that's wrong. Because in truth, we can be coveting the spiritual itself. And that is a form of desire, attachment. It is desire that we have to give up. Wanting to be something else. And merely learning to be. And in a sense... In the context of this lecture today, we're going to talk about some very elevated spiritual things in terms of what a spiritual master must renounce to go to the highest regions, the truth. But I introduce this as a basic level instruction because this is going to be the doorway to understanding how it is a spiritual master renounces heaven and goes even beyond anything we can conceive of. So, in our level, we have to renounce egotism in order to be spiritual. You know, give up anger, pride, fear, lust, vanity, resentment, attachment, aversion, ignorance. What we are now has to be given up to go to the higher level of being. And that really prepares us to enter the path of spiritual mastery, to be a master of ourselves. Such as when we meditate, 
Master the body, master the heart, master the mind. Master our will. Concentration. Focus on one thing without being distracted. To not waver. But even then, to learn to give up our will for the divine. As Jesus uh, proclaimed, not my will, but thine be done. Levels of mastery. You see that there's a hierarchy. Degrees, which is what we call the path of initiation. And that process that leads us to that development is compassion. That is really the heart of religion. That is how we really renounce what we are for something better. So we've been talking a lot about initiation and that to enter this spiritual path, one has to learn to renounce. There are levels of instruction in religion, no matter what faith, introductory, intermediate, advanced, as we explained previously. Or to use Buddhist terms, Shravakayana, Mahayana, Tantrayana. Shravaka means listener. It's what we do in the beginning. We listen to instruction to be able to ascertain what we must do. Yana means vehicle, the means of instruction, ethics, basic character, good deeds, reduce suffering by avoiding, better said, comprehending and not acting on these lower emotions. That leads to the path of Mahayana, greater vehicle, love for humanity love for others and the whole focus of this lecture really is on the amount of compassion needed to go from the very beginning to the very end and so this path is demanding because obviously the path of initiation is based on laws but not material laws spiritual ones compassion is a law it is a way of being it is a superior state which has its requisites, its demands, its longings. And when we fail to live up to the law in our heart, we obviously feel pain, conflict. We feel the bitterness of wrong action, remorse. But compassion is really, to use Gnostic terms, Christos, Christ, Avalokiteshvara, Chen Razig, Allah, Brahma, many names for one reality. And in order to reach those heights, we have to follow and resonate with those levels of being. Because if we don't, we don't go upward. We go down. Right? We talk about in Kabbalah, Klepot, hell realms. Anger is hell. Fear is hell. Laziness is a state of inferno, pain. And so there are laws because what we are psychologically determines our trajectory in life and when we die. If our mind is not burdened with garbage, lack of density, lack of self, we obviously rise because the mud goes down and the water goes up like in a container or like butter or ghee floating on the surface of a river. It is in tune with that reality. This is why the voice of the silence emphasizes, thou hast to be prepared to answer Dharma, the stern law, whose voice will ask thee at thy first, at thy initial step. Has thou complied with all the rules of ethical discipline within the Shravakayana path, O thou of lofty hopes? Hast thou attuned thy heart and mind to the great mind and heart of all mankind through compassion of the Mahayana? For as the sacred river's roaring voice, whereby all nature's sounds are echoed back, so must the heart of him who in the stream would enter thrill in response to every sigh and thought of all that lives and breathes. Really, love is the, the requisite selfless love, compassion. And there are degrees of development that if we wish to enter that stream, which is the river that leads to nirvana, cessation, the end of pain, 
in a psychological and ethical sense, we learn to study the tree of life. Again, this map, this glyph depicts who we are, where we are, what we are, and what we need to do. We have Malkut, which means kingdom in Hebrew. It is our physical body of which we are most acquainted. But there are other levels of nature that exist that are not merely physical. When we dream, we access regions like Hod, splendor in Hebrew. Some people call it the astral plane, the world of dreams, the world of visions. Below that, we have Yasod, which means foundation. It's our vitality. In a sense, if you study Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Qigong, the vital currency of our health circulates through our nadis, these energetic centers, which give us animation and life. You wake up in the morning, you have your vital body charged, and you're physically healthy. You feel rested. That vital body permeates and saturates the physical body. And it's a form of matter energy that is not physical. It is semi-etheric. It's of a fourth dimension. Different dimensions. So these are layers of being, layers of dimensionality, places, but also vehicles that we inhabit when either we are physically awake or when we dream. Beyond this astral vehicle, Hod, the world of splendor, we have Netzach, which in Hebrew means victory, the mind, the intellect. And this intellect is the mental body. It's the origin of thought. The origin of thought in our physical experience because all these levels of nature really permeate here and now. You can't physically point out your thoughts, but you sense them. You know them. Even more real than your body, your emotions, your mind, your thinking, because these are forms of experience that are here and now, but different senses. Beyond that, we have will which in Hebrew is tifereth, causality. When you intend something and you do it, it is action. And it's interesting when you study this glyph that you see again that layers of density. Obviously, the physical body is most noticeable, but you can also sense vitality, energy. You can sense your emotions, your mind, and your will. And these get more subtle as you ascend. This is not verticality in space. It's verticality in terms of density, of expression, of being. Why study this? Because the path of initiation is precisely mastery of all of this. Mastery of self. And initiation occurs when we learn to conquer again these lower levels of matter and experience and make it resonate with God, with divinity. So there are levels to this, according to the Buddhist doctrine, when they talk about Sorotapati, Sakrikita Gamin, Anagamin, Rahat or Arhat. These are these four level lower spheres that we must master. So the one who has conquered the physical body through the spiritual path of initiation is Sorotapati. He who has entered the stream that leads to the Nirvanic Ocean, because that is the beginning. Initiation means to begin, to start. And it is one level. Obviously, with Yasod, when you conquer your vital energies, Sakrita Gamin, he who received birth only once more. Because really, if you think about it, if you conquer your life force, the creative energy, the power of sex, which can give life to a child, you really have the power of spiritual birth, as we've been explaining. And that energy, when it's mastered, gives you spiritual life. And therefore, at that point, you have more control over where you go. Because you can create new circumstances instead of creating a physical body. Very deep. Anagamin. He who will be reincarnated no more. Really, if you conquer the astral dimension, the heart, you create what's known as a superior astral body, as we've explained previously. This vehicle, which is a body belonging to divinity, will take you out of that wheel of recurrence. So we talk about in Buddhist doctrine, 108 lives given to initiates, or better said, people and humanity. We return again and again to new lives. 
but by mastering and creating what's known as a solar astral body, a vehicle belonging to divinity, we in turn really can choose whether we incarnate or not. We overcome that wheel, mechanicity. And as we master these lower parts of ourselves and resonate with higher laws, you have more decisions or you can make more decisions in terms of your spiritual trajectory. And lastly, Rahat or Arhat, someone who conquers their mind, is one who sees Nirvana during his or her life. Because above that is Tifereth, Nirvana. Nirvana means cessation. It is a world of real peace, willpower. We talk about this in writings by Salman Vior, such as his uh, book called Igneous Rose, where really we call them major mysteries. These major mysteries or initiations are degrees given to the soul, the consciousness, the spirit. And so he emphasized the same points we made. The four great initiations of major mysteries are Surtapana, Sakrita Gamin, Anagamin, Arhan. These are the four paths that lead to Nirvana. And really, this is the beginning of a spiritual master, as we've been implying. But what people don't understand about higher truths and higher realities is that mastery is a beginning level. There must be perfection in mastery. But that's a very different path, obviously. So what I'm talking about today may seem elevated and you know, very beyond us. And it is. It's good to know the map and the context so that if we get there, we know what we want to do, if we want it. Nirvana, the beginning of mastery, is someone known as a Buddha at a certain level. Levels of awakening, enlightenment, awakened one in Sanskrit. But beyond that is what is known as an adept. And that term to be adept at something means to have perfect skill, control, some kind of harnessing and mastery of oneself. We also explained in our writings about Kundalini, the sacred fire, known in Christianity as the Holy Spirit, the fire of Pentecost, the brazen serpent that Moses raised on a staff in the wilderness to heal the Israelites. Beautiful symbols for one reality, the creative power of God, which a married couple can harness in themselves and raise by not letting out that fire, but elevating up the spine to the mind and then to the heart. Seven degrees. Every time that fire rises, vertebra to vertebra, vertebra then to the mind and then to the heart, you accomplish a initiation. And that's a very slow process, very difficult. But it is the energy that allows the adept, the meditator, to master him or herself. And so when we're talking about initiation and these lower bodies, these vehicles, really in themselves, they're like a, a cup that needs to be filled. And that wine of divinity, of alchemy, divine ambrosia, is precisely that creative energy, which is raise up the spine, up these lower bodies, successively, degree by degree, until we reach Tifereth. And that is that energy that creates bodies that belong to divinity in different levels of nature. So, again, I talked about Tifereth, but there are higher levels relating to Geburah, consciousness, justice. Geburah means justice in Hebrew. And Hesed means mercy. It is the spirit, our inner being, the truth. Divine consciousness and spirit, really divinity. Because above Tifereth are levels of divinity. We've, we've transcended the human and entered the divine. It is a very rare to reach and to experience and to master, even more so. Above this, we have the famous trinity of, of uh, any religion. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Keter, Chokmah, Bina in Hebrew. Crown, wisdom, intelligence. In Kabbalah. Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Osiris, Oros, 
ISIS in Egypt. But these are levels of being that are very difficult to comprehend and very rare. We call it Christos, Christ, the light of energy of compassion, which is empty of self. It is a universal cognizance that is eternal and which in our studies we aspire to. So above this are higher levels. As Salman Vera stated, even when the Arhan is an adept reaching this level of Tifereth, he must still raise the fifth, sixth, and seventh serpent of his eternal divine triad in order to convert himself into an Arhat of the mist of the fire. Notice we have three trinities here. The middle trinity is precisely our divine triad. Spirit, soul, and will, which must be united in harmony. And that creates what is known as an arhat of the mist of the fire. Because this region is animated by the fire of love, real compassion, divine being. It's an allegory. It's a metaphor. It's not literal. These are the seven great initiations of major mysteries. These are, there are the seven serpents that any human being must raise by intensely practicing sexual magic with his spouse. Husband and wife can raise the fire of the Holy Ghost within themselves so as to enter initiation. Somewhat allegorized in, uh, if you've watched The Magic Flute of Mozart, who was a Freemason who knew this teaching, in which the couple, Pamina and Tamina, Pamino and Tamina, go through uh, the uh, path of initiation together. So what are the paths of a Buddha? Obviously, now we're going into some more advanced elements of uh, the spiritual path. When someone reaches the fourth initiation of major mysteries, really working with Malkut, Yasad, Hod, and then Netzach, that person becomes a Buddha, a beginner at that level of mastery. Buddha means awakened one, to be conscious, awake in those regions, has a mind under perfect control, has cleaned out their mind, is very pure. But even at that level, masters have choices. What do they want to do? Someone very mentioned uh, seven of them, which personally I find very moving. And also very difficult to understand because, uh, um, you know, those are very elevated things. But, you know, I mention them here because they provide context for what will await, you know, if you reach this level of development. When the master reaches the fourth initiation of major mysteries, seven paths are open before him. First, to enter nirvana. Second, to do superior works in nirvana. Third, to form part of the major government of the Logos of the solar system. This term Logos is the term given to Christ, the Word. Logos means Word. It's also the abstract principle before we think, thought that manifests. So at that level, you can work with the divinities in relation to the solar system because obviously with more mastery of oneself, more responsibility for others. And this is the law of, of divinity. If you've reached a certain level and you wish to go higher, you have to give. And there's, you know, jurisdictions given to different hierarchies or divine beings. This is one of them. Fourth, to remain as a Nirmanakaya, working in the astral plane for humanity. Really, there are many beings like this who you can meet in the astral world in your dreams who are precisely doing this. You know, maybe you're practicing dream yoga. You physically fall asleep, you go to rest, you wake up in your dreams, you know that you're dreaming. And suddenly, a Egyptian woman comes to your home, and you immediately know, this is a master, because they're awake, and you are awake, and they can teach you things to guide you in that dimension. Very powerful and beautiful experience. There are many of them who work in the astral plane to teach us very deep things about how to live. And so, maybe we're not at that point, but... If we reach the fourth initiation of major mysteries, one can be like a Nirmanakaya. And instead of receiving that kind of help, you give it. Very beautiful gift. Fifth, to work in the future Jupiterian period of our Earth. We talk about periods of manifestation within the universe. We call them cosmic days. You know, Brahma breathes out. 
and the universe emerges. Brahma breathes in. And then all of this tree of life returns back to the divine cosmic space, the absolute. In order to rest, is really like a, you know, to be in suspension. So there are periods of development relating to sometimes the planets, like the era of Jupiter, which is a regal and royal planet with different astrological influences, relating to um, a future period in which, you know, there will be great work needed in different humanities. Six, to reincarnate in order to work for humanity. And for our purposes today, this is the most important. This is the path of what we're going to call a bodhisattva. We'll explain that. Seventh, to enter the Davic or angelic evolution in order to work in this great laboratory of nature under the direct orders of the Lord Jehovah, who is a great angel, archangel, better said, to work amongst the gods, the divine beings who have perfected themselves. We want to follow a path known as the straight path, according to the Gnostics. So if you've reached Tifereth, you've created these lower vehicles relating to um, physicality, vitality, emotionality, mind, and will. We have a choice. Do we want to go to Nirvana? Enjoy vacation. Stay there. It's a very welcome thing. Or renounce it. Return to the world and serve humanity. It's a very lofty goal. And obviously it's a very difficult choice, especially if you've ever experienced this dimension. A plane of being that is really the like in nature, you see the cause and ripples of effects, action and consequences in perfect harmony. Really the best analogy I can give of it is Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. Is um Pastoral. Really, the number six, if you count from the bo- top to the bottom, is Tiferet, the beauty of nature. Beethoven was depicting that in his music because he was a Freemason. He was a master. And he was, a, he was rising in his perfection and mastery itself. So he depicted that region, very beautiful. And honestly, you know, having these lower vehicles, physical body, vital body, Solar astral body, solar mental body, solar causal body. It's very wonderful to have. Very beautiful. Because now, as a divine human being, we have a a certain level of communion with the truth. But it is not everything. There are levels. Levels of mastery. And so, at that place, one can very easily lose sight of the suffering of humanity. Because that state is so blissful. In a sense, solar bodies, while necessary in the spiritual path, are really a stepping stone. They should not be the end. You know, in terms of perspective, obviously, according to Blavatsky and the Voice of the Silence, these divine vehicles can be the source of the end of our compassion for humanity because we forget the world. The Shagna, literally initiation robe, tis true, can purchase light eternal. The Shagna robe alone gives the nirvana of destruction. It stops rebirth. But Olanu, disciple, it also kills. Compassion. No longer can the perfect Buddhas who don the Dharmakaya glory help man's salvation. Alas, shall selves be sacrificed to self, mankind unto the wheel of units. Listen to Beethoven, the Sixth Symphony, because really it depicts that level of beauty in nature that makes us forget the world. And we have to understand that nirvana is not the end, that that is what we want. There are higher degrees of initiation. There is mastery here, but then there is perfection in mastery. But to reach the heights, the absolute truth requires renunciation of oneself. Renunciation of bliss, happiness and a vacation in which metaphorically you're given all that you can want to eat, whatever you want to drink, happiness and peace, no strife, 
real beatitude and love. Masters who greet you at that level, who, you know, belong to that level of nature, who are very divine. And yet they are attached. And that is the problem. We call this path of nirvanis, people who remain at this level of nature, really the spiral path. It's a level of development that really, like a spiral, takes aeons, cosmic days, centuries, millions of years to finally reach the end goal. It just goes progressively, little by little, in terms of development, very patiently. But very little to overcome, very little suffering, barely any. It's a path of bliss. And it's a very beautiful thing. But there is another way. We call it the straight path. So this open path or the spiral path is what is open to every master who reaches that point. It is open because it is easy. No beginner. This is the open path, the way to selfish bliss, shunned by the bodhisattvas of the secret heart, the Buddhas of compassion. Bodhi means light, wisdom, enlightenment. Wisdom is synonymous with the Kabbalah, Chokmah, which means wisdom. This is the level of Christ. The light of selfless compassion that is extended towards all beings without distinction. It is the energy of divinity, supreme, powerful, the intelligence of God. And sattva means essence, incarnation of, the vehicle, the person. A person who is incarnated Christ. Or to use Buddhist terms, Chen Rizig, Avalokiteshvara, many names for that one reality. A Bodhisattva is a master who incarnates the divine, symbolized by the nativity of Jesus, who enters the manger as a child from a pure virgin mother, meaning the initiate who has purified him or herself. But that child has to grow up. That's the beginning of perfection and mastery. A bodhisattva, to receive that blessing, has to renounce heaven. Everything. Give it up. Be willing to sacrifice personal satisfaction for the salvation of millions. Humanity. Many humanities. It's a responsibility that is very difficult to bear. But that path of renunciation and service really is the doorway to entering higher levels of nature. Because the law of divinity, the law of Christ, is sacrifice, as we saw in the life of Jesus, the life of Buddha, of Krishna, Moses, prophets. They had what is known as bodhicitta, the altruistic, divine, compassionate, and enlightened state of mind that knows how to give to humanities without expectation or reward. It is true compassion, really empowered by an understanding of the selflessness of nature, how everything is impermanent. Nothing is static. Situations change. The mind constantly changes if we're watching, observing, examining. And those momentary states of anger, pride, fear, lust, these contaminants which trap our potential, in truth, are illusions. They have no real reality in ourselves. But we have to learn to clean that out and enter the path of Christ. So bodhicitta transcends solar bodies. You know, it's good to have these vehicles so that you can learn to navigate the astral plane, the mental plane, experience states of nirvana and causality, the higher dimensions. But merely enjoying those states does not guarantee that we're going to enter higher regions. You know, it's a work. It's a path. It's a discipline. Very demanding. The one who does not possess the bodhicitta even when he has created the superior existential bodies of the being, is still unconscious and absurd. Because there are many people who've reached mastery. They enjoy powers and abilities. Sometimes they may even have their physical body here. They run spiritual groups and movements, have a lot of followers. And 
are helping a lot of people, but it's an attachment, it's pride, but there could be elements, impurities that are mixed with the, uh, you know, the good intentions, which is why Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doeth. Can't be attached. Learn to give, but don't take credit. Really, the one who takes credit is Christ. And so, they're unconscious. It's absurd. Explains why in many mythologies, there are gods who fight among themselves. And this is the state of many spiritual movements because there are people who are at this level who are fighting for positions of spiritual authority. And this is wrong. You know, obviously, in a deeper sense, beings like Jesus, Buddha, Moses, were so far beyond, you know, that level of mastery that, you know, people can't comprehend because they're very revolutionary. You can't fit them in a box. You can't trap them in some ideology or belief. They know how to navigate with intuition in the moment. And that's why the sayings of the Bible or Moses or the New Testament, when Christ speaks parables on the mount, the mountain of initiation to the multitudes, it's so profound and enlightening that it really escapes our ability to, you know, anticipate. You can't predict what these initiates have to say or do. So having those bodies, again, is important, but they're just the beginning. Bodhicitta, selfless love for humanity, along with comprehension of these heights, is what allows the environment to be developed for the uh, creation of a bodhisattva. This is the source of honor among any real master. In the top of this glyph, we see Kater, the crown, the father, Hokmah, wisdom, the son, and Binah, intelligence, the Holy Spirit. Three forces, not people, not anthropomorphized figures, intelligences, principles. This light emerges from what is known as the cosmic abstract absolute space. In Kabbalah, in Hebrew, you have Ain, means nothingness. Ain Sof, the limitless. Ain Sof, or the limitless light. These are aspects of the origin and goal of any bodhisattva. But the law of this higher region is sacrifice. If what we want is to return to the bosom of the absolute truth, we have to be willing to give our last drop of blood for humanity. And the one who incarnates Christ, Bodhi, the light, wisdom, hokmah, renounces personal liberation, the enjoyment of a vacation in nirvana, in order to return to the physical world and to teach and to help and to sacrifice for others. Know that the Bodhisattva who liberation changes for renunciation to don the miseries of secret life is called thrice-honored, O thou candidate for woe throughout the cycles. Why is this initiate thrice-honored? Because the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, those forces become more active in the individual. And they, and they seek to manifest that fully in themselves. So, to clarify, if you reach the fifth initiation of major mysteries, which is the sphere of Tiferet, we have a choice to make. Stay in Nirvana, enjoy the vacation, go the open way, the spiral path, develop little by little over many Mahamanvantaras, cosmic ages, periods of time in which whole universes are born and they die for many cycles, or abandon our heavenly state and in one life reach the goal. But that means, at that point, all of the deeds that we have committed in the past are conglomerated. They're compressed into one life in which the Bodhisattva has to pay it all. This is why you see lives like Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, Krishna are so revolutionary because they were Bodhisattvas. They decided, I want to take the straight path. I want to renounce nirvana, pay it all, all the karma, all the suffering, one life. Padmasambhava is another example, Joan of Arc. Many initiates who basically 
You know, you look at their histories, whose lives were so fraught with pain, but in the end they paid it all. And they reunited and achieved what is known as, in Christian terms, resurrection. In which the soul is fully entered within the divine. But that path is renunciation. You know, obviously, you have to give up what you have, which is that level of development to go someplace higher. The path is one disciple, yet in the end, twofold. Marked are its stages by four and seven portals. At one end, bliss immediate, and at the other, bliss deferred. Both are of the merit the reward. The choice is thine. Four and seven portals. Going back to numbers. The path of liberation begins after these four portals are achieved. And you begin to enter nirvana. Four lower bodies. But if you wish to enter the higher state of bliss, which comes through renunciation at the end, you have to enter seven portals. Which is when, when you take the straight path, you learn to raise fire and elements relating to higher regions in this tree of life. So that's where the numerology comes into play. One way, bliss deferred, meaning the straight path. You wait, you pay all your karma in one life, and then at the end you have peace because you've achieved the goal. Or bliss immediate, stay in nirvana. The one becomes the two, the open and the secret. The first one leadeth to the goal, the second to self-immolation. So what does a bodhisattva have to give up? Every defect, every error, every mistake. All that is imperfect must die. Which is why Jesus, when he went through his passion, dramatized through his body and flesh and bones a metaphor, a symbol of what psychologically we need to do. Die on the cross. Go up the mountain of Golgotha. Place the skull. Raise the fire in your marriage up to your mind. Crucify your mind. Endure the slings and arrows of persecution and hatred and pain and suffering. Ordeals. Be crowned with thorns because the mind must be disciplined with will. But obviously it's a painful process. That which is immutable and divine must really manifest, but divinity cannot mix with impurity, like oil and water. Obviously, to incarnate Christ is, there has to be a, some level of development, you know, some level of mastery, where the mind, heart, body, will, and soul are clean. The mind must become virgin, which is why Christ is born in any religion through a virgin mother, through the purity of the sexual act. Immaculate conception the perfect matrimony. So the goal of the Bodhisattva is to be like a drop when it's fully pure to go back to the ocean and to get lost in the absolute. Which Richard Wagner in his uh, Das Rheingold, his opera depicted in the first 40 bars of that music descending to the Rhine River like an ocean. Beautiful crescendos and music Describing the current of sound, of joy that uh, the soul experiences when lost within the origins of life. When to the permanent is sacrificed the mutable, the prize is thine. The drop returneth whence it came. The open path leads to the changeless change, nirvana. The glorious state of absoluteness, the bliss past human thought. Thus the first path is liberation. Spiral path. Nirvana is a level of bliss and happiness that is very profound. It is eternal. It is changeless, but also it is the life and flux of causality and motion, of being. That is a level of liberation and freedom. But the path, the second, is renunciation, and therefore called the path of woe. That secret path leads the arhan to mental woe unspeakable. Woe for the living dead. And the helpless pity for the men of karmic sorrow, the fruit of karma sages there not still. So the straight path is the path of renunciation. It's the path of woe. Very difficult. Very hard. But it is the way, the life and the truth. 
And after paying everything we owe, you were absorbed back after serving many humanities to the ultimate bliss, real liberation, which is so difficult to attain that we very, you know, very few people have done it. I mean, Jesus is one of them, but their names are recited in the legacy of humanity. So they have woe for the living dead, which is all of us. We're alive, but spiritually we're dead. Our hearts are hardened. We have problems. We suffer in life. We struggle. And we seek answers. And they have helpless pity for the men of karmic sorrow because all of us are afflicted. Like in the last lecture, we talked about Carmina Burana, right? That classical piece, the wheel of fortune that strikes in its power the you know, the human being's heart. And in a sense, these bodhisattvas seek to, you know, alleviate the suffering of humanity. But even that karma, these sages dare not still because it is a very difficult thing to do. Very hard. But they still work and try. The superior law of divinity is sacrifice. So this path of the straight way, simplified by the crucifixion of Jesus, is also embodied within the Mahayana doctrine of uh, the Paramitas, the virtues, six in total. We'll explain them. Para means beyond. Uh, Paramitas are like the laws of reality beyond our physical senses. They're types of virtues that empower the soul on the path. To live to benefit mankind is the first step. Bodhicitta. To practice the six glorious virtues, paramitas, is the second. To don Nirmanakaya's humble robe is to forego eternal bliss for self, to help on man's salvation. To reach nirvana's bliss, but to renounce it, is the supreme, the final step, the highest on renunciation's path. No, disciple, this is the secret path selected by the Buddhas of perfection who sacrifice the self to weaker selves. These paramitas also relate to the lower spheres of the tree of life. Who studied uh, Mahayana Buddhism especially, such as uh, Tsongkhapa, Shantideva, Way of the Bodhisattva, talks about these. Generosity, ethics, patience, diligence, meditation, and wisdom. We correlate them with the lower spheres of the tree of life. Generosity relates to Yasad, because the power of generation is the power of sex. The power of real virtue is the power of chastity. Not the avoidance of sex, but its transformation into something pure, a sacrament. That energy can give life. It generates the virtues of the soul. Virtutis, virtue, relates to virya, virility. So when that power is mastered, you have real virtue. Ethics relates to hod, the heart, because we need to learn how to restrain negative emotion, you know, not give in to anger and pride and resentment and fear. Not repress the heart or hide from it or avoid it, but understand it. Patience is related to netzach, the mind, because the mind gives the meditator many problems. You know, the body is one thing when we're trying to meditate, if we're moving around, we're agitated. But even when the body is still, the mind can be racing, distracted going from thing to thing. And the mind is really the source of real pain. You know, we have a problem, we think about trying to find a solution and we're constantly agitated. We need patience. That's why Christ was wearing a crown of thorns and he needed patience to endure the pain of that. Diligence relates to tifereth, willpower, because we need great courage and zeal, enthusiasm, the will to work, to strive in order to advance in these higher degrees. Meditation relates to Gebra, the consciousness, because that is the practice, or better said, the state of being in which we balance everything. Gebra is justice, not some arbitrary external law of divine punishment, but the equilibrium of the soul when we are in harmony with ourselves and humanity. Meditation teaches us that so that we can access real wisdom, prajna, relating to the spirit. This is real profound insight into any problem that we need to face or defect, so that by understanding it, we eliminate it. 
The goal for the Bodhisattva on the path of renunciation is precisely the Ein Sof, which Samalan Vera describes in his books as the Star of Bethlehem. Above Keter, Dharmakaya, the Father, within the void, is like a light, a beautiful synthetic state of being, the root of all happiness and liberation, real liberation, not temporary. That light shines within the void, in the space, and is the synthesis of us. It is the real home. And that star shines upon the birth of Christ. As a symbol, it is Ain Sof, limitless happiness, limitless joy. And when you reduce everything about a human being to the root, it is that light, Ain Sof. And that light wants knowledge of itself, which we denominate Paranishpana, self-realization, to know oneself. It's when we came from that source, entered the universe, down to this physical world. Now we're trying to return back upward with knowledge, gain experience. So that with that developed consciousness, we have real appreciation or understanding of that root happiness. Which is why the voice of the silence teaches have patience, candidate, as one who fears no failure, courts no success. Fix thy soul's gaze upon that star whose ray thou art, the flaming star that shines within the lightless depths of ever-being, the boundless fields of the unknown. Have perseverance as one who doth forevermore endure. Thy shadows live and vanish. That which is in thee shall live forever, that which in thee knows. For it is knowledge, it is not a fleeing life, it is the man that was, that is, and will be, for whom the hour shall never strike. So, everything in the universe will end. But the Sof is eternal. That is the goal of a Bodhisattva, the star of Bethlehem, the house of bread. And bread is the symbol of knowledge or wisdom that enlightens any initiate. That knowledge is precisely comprehension of oneself, elimination of defects, the birth of virtue, and sacrifice for humanity. So while we talked on a, a lot of elevated points, I wanted to just you know, conclude that you know, it's good to know the map, you know, what's, what's there. You know, if we reach that point, we're more informed. You know what to do. But it can seem very discouraging, you know, especially when we examine our life and talk about these very elevated things that are so abstract and profound. And personally, my experience has been, my very limited experience has been, when they've shown me things, they talked about, you know, these very elevated things. But also they say, keep your feet on the ground. Don't get lost in the clouds. You know, I mentioned the theory, you know, because it's very... You know, it's beautiful and we need to know it, but we also have to be practical, which is why for the final lecture in this course, we're going to talk about the paramitas, which can apply to any initiate, beginning or whatever degree. So a bodhisattva is perfected through those virtues, but also we learn to enter the stream of nirvana through virtue in those six degrees too. Any questions? You mentioned four portals and then seven portals. If the first four are up to Netzach, there's only six spheres above that, so is the seventh insult. Yeah, so four and seven portals. You've finished the fourth initiation of major mysteries. You know? And in a sense, you can count seven up from, uh, yeah, well, I know it goes in the insult, but, uh, when you become a master of the fifth initiation of major mysteries, you've worked with the serpents of fire, Kundalini. But to now, for a master who seeks perfection, has to work with the seven serpents of light. So, you know, first mountain, right? Forge of Hephaestus, perfect matrimony, finish the minor mysteries, enter the major mysteries. If you reach this world of Tifereth and you take the straight path, now you have to descend back to Malkut and raise the serpents of light, Christ. So I know a lot of people are familiar with Kundalini and the serpents of fire, fiery serpent. But someone who takes the straight path and incarnates Christ, 
has to raise now the serpents of Christ up the spine of the seven lower bodies. It's another degree or level of initiation, which um, Jesus even allegorized to Nicodemus in the book of uh, John, I believe. Just as the serpent of bronze was raised in the wilderness to heal the Israelites, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Degrees, two degrees. Serpent of bronze is fire. Bronze is an alchemical symbol. Copper and tin, male, female. But beyond the serpents of fire, the serpent of bronze, that heals the Israelites in the wilderness of initiation, you now have to raise the serpents of light, which is much more elevated. I have two questions. Um, sure. The first one is, you mentioned we have solar bodies, right? Does that mean we also have like lunar moon bodies? Yeah, so we begin with lunar bodies. But through initiation and the perfect matrimony, you create solar bodies. So in the perfect matrimony, you know, somehow Unveor explains that in the beginning we're lunar, right? It's a symbol. The moon is a symbol of mechanicity. You know, we repeat things, not only psychologically, but all our behaviors, all our actions in life. We also have what are known as lunar bodies. You know, these are vehicles that we are given by nature so that when we dream, we have a vehicle by which to travel in the astral world, Hod, in the mental world, Netzach. doesn't take any effort. You know, we just have them. Solar bodies are created through a perfect matrimony. You know, when a couple conserves the power of life, elevates it up the spine through Tantra, that energy is accumulated like a surplus. And instead of creating a child physically, you create inner vehicles. You know, we call them solar because they resonate with Christ. They belong to a creative, generative nature that is, in a sense, divine. Where else, where else do we find the power of creation through love, but through sex? It's the power of divinity. So solar vehicles are what allow us to voluntarily travel in the astral world, travel in the mental world, travel in the causal world. You know, It's like they have energy there that connects us like a circuit so that the light can express. And only when you have those bodies created can we possibly receive Christ. Because that energy is so divine and powerful that it needs a conduit. You know, you try to put a electrical voltage to a imperfect wire, you know, it'd um, be obliterated. We need to resonate with that higher law. So lunar bodies we begin with. Solar bodies are a luxury. We get to create them. Why the bath with um, yellow sephirot? It's known as a non-sephirot. Yes. It's like an abstract place during the path or... Dot, the sphere in the middle of the tree of life is dot, is a knowledge. This is alchemy. The Kabbalists kept this secret because the rites of the perfect matrimony were a secret for centuries. You know? Dot is precisely a marriage. You know, when the Bible says Adam knew his wife in the begot Cain, or Adam knew his wife begot Seth, Abel. Knowledge is intimately related to sex. To know, you know, know your partner or know your spouse. But also that energy, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is precisely the creative force. And it is when we ate from that tree of knowledge in the wrong way. We misuse the energy. Kicked out of Eden. Eden is bliss in Hebrew. We keep it as a secret sephirah. We know it's a secret sephirah because it's the knowledge that related to Yesod, the vital forces. You transpose or you know shift over some of the Hebrew letters. You spell Sodi, which means secret. Yesod, the foundation. And Dat is the power of a matrimony that allows all of this to be, you know. In a sense, the tree of life is us, the human being. Ten spheres that represent levels of being. In a sense, you can call it the Christmas tree. And the light, the, really the, what gives it light is the tree of knowledge. You know, we have this Christmas tree which is not lit up yet. We don't have the fire present. No, but with initiation, I mean, or in Christmas, you decorate your tree, you put a star at the top, 
It's the Ain Sof. It's the origin or symbol of that, you know, tradition. So the tree of knowledge is the power of creativity that awakens all that. You know, but the Kabbalists were not allowed to talk about it, you know, until recently as uh, 1950, when someone unveiled it in the perfect matrimony. I know it's a lot. Yeah, Blavatsky can be very intense. It's got a lot, a lot to condense in that scripture, you know. But um, I also hope that with this course, you are more inclined to study what she translated. You know, the voice of the silence, despite its brevity, obviously, because you can see, it's very compact, dense. It's a lot of levels to it, and so it's also very profound. And you know, I invite you to meditate on it and seek to understand it from experience because it enlightens the whole path from beginning to end. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at chicagognosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.